Oh, hello there, and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, and then we talk about it. Last episode, we had a friend of the show, Chad Hines, on, focused on a horror movie, The Blair Witch Project. Um, I want to do a quick correction from last episode, uh, Uh in which I said that Blair Witch 2 was not that bad and maybe worth (laughs) checking out. Um, Between last episode and this episode, Chad and I got together, had a couple beers, watched Blair Witch, uh, excuse me, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, directed by Joe Berlinger. We actually watched it twice, once normally, and then the second time with that infamous director's commentary, and our conclusion was, it's not a good movie, and you probably shouldn't watch it. (laughs) Even the beers didn't help, huh? No, no. Probably don't watch the second Blair Witch. Which was better, the movie or the movie with commentary? You know, I was expecting the commentary to, you know, really give us an insight into maybe this lost Blair Witch sequel that could have been good, but a lot of his ideas were really bad. I mean, it was all about, (laughs) it takes place in our world, Blair Witch Project is a movie that came out, Uh and people flock to Burkittsville, Maryland, which is true in real life, people were really bothered in Burkittsville, uh... After the movie came out. Kind of like Forks, Washington, and Twilight. Yeah, exactly like that. And it kind of is this very meta sequel in which murders are happening, but it might be just these kids' imagination, or maybe it's the Blair Witch, but it's made very confusing by a lot of studio edits, a lot of inserts of gore and things. And where I'm going with all this is... um, we saw a classic horror film for today's episode. I selected Friday the 13th, which uh, has a few sequels of its own, actually. It seems like Sean's trying to push us into an early Halloween season, but that's not oh, what it's no, happening. Oh, no, 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 no. Cl- his claim is that this is a summer camp movie. Oh, yeah, this is a... This is a summer campfire tale envisioned in cinematic form. Yes. Because it's Friday the 13th of July or June. It's of in the June. summer. Yeah. June. There we go. It's his birthday. And we'll get into all that later. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I am trying to squeeze in one horror movie before Halloween. This actually isn't a horror movie that I tend to watch around Halloween. I yeah. really think that this is one that is best seen during the summer. Your typical summer camp movie, like Meatballs or... There aren't any kids there. I mean, this is pre-summer camp camp. That's true. These are the camp counselors. uh, Sexy camp counselors. Those unbridled. Oh, yes. Unbridled sexuality. Um, Oh, by the way, there were no trailers on this tape, although I didn't figure there would be. I like how you're defensive about the lack of trailers. (laughs) (laughs) Like, normally it used to be when... I know with DVDs, they would make it so you couldn't skip the trailers on some DVDs, and it was really annoying, and so it would have been refreshing to have a DVD that went straight to the menu. But now we curse it if there aren't any trailers. Yeah, this, was, uh, this wasn't quite the first issue. I had to really track down this tape because I wanted sort of the, the a vintage tape with the old cover on it, which is kind of this silhouette that's filled up with just this ominous landscape of the forest and the yeah. camp and these 
people standing off in the in the shadows and i think that this is a might have not been the first print so but i think maybe even in the early days of vhs tape they didn't clog them up with trailers like on the blair witch tape no probably not <laughs> Lindsay, this was your very first time seeing the 1980 classic, Friday the 13th. I actually, I've not seen any of the sequels either. Yeah, so what did you, what were you expecting going in? I was expecting someone to murder people in a hockey mask, but there was no hockey mask in sight. Nope, uh, and I think that you were <laughs> expecting a certain Jason to be doing yeah, the killing. I kept, they kept hinting at the murder pair of legs or maybe a hand or something. You could see a little bit of our killer, and I kept saying to Sean, oh, there's Jason at it again, and he didn't say anything because he knew that it was not Jason. I it was convinced it was Jason the whole time even though I saw a ring on the killer's finger and I pointed out wow that's weird that Jason's wearing a ring he's got just a big old ring on his finger big huge ring this is one of the most interesting things about Friday the 13th through modern eyes because when when it was viewed at the time it was sort of a classic whodunit like scream or something like this but today's audiences the it's sort of a modern day twist that everyone expects it to be jason because that's the Mm -hmm. lore and that he dominates all of the sequels from here on out but through modern eyes it is sort of a twist ending that it turns out to be his mother mrs Voorhees. now that i think about it i feel like a friend of mine in college had a t-shirt with all the famous spoilers on it like king kong dies at the end and darth vader is luke's father and stuff it had uh-huh. all the spoilers on it. i feel like it said something about Voorhees. Because this movie established all these things, though, if you'd told someone in line for this movie in 1980 that, hey, the killer's Mrs. Voorhees, not Jason, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Because Jason never comes up at all until the very end of the movie. Well, yeah, so the movie opens in 1958 at Camp Crystal Lake. It had a a fair share of uh, bad luck over the years. It's been dubbed Camp Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because of this incident that happens right at the beginning. These two camp counselors are murdered. We find out later that the year before, a boy drowned in the lake. There have been fires, and every attempt to reopen this camp has been kind of cursed, you might say. It's actually kind of interesting that the movie does this. Like, it opens in this way. Instead of opening with a child dying in a lake to set up this idea of Jason. It totally leaves that until the end of the movie, and they open with the ca- the, the camp counselors being punished the following year. Yeah. Punished with bloody, bloody murder. And this is kind of one of the problems with these movies, because the motive doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, yeah, Mrs. Voorhees is a little bit crazy, but... A little? She's... Like, yeah. she's psycho level. Like, it felt like we were kind of watching Psycho. Yeah. You, you even commented the music was very Psycho-esque. The music is very Psycho-esque, especially in this first film. Um, Psy- psycho, another movie I didn't know the twist of until I watched it <laughs> er- earlier this year. Now, that's the opposite of this. That's where it's set up to be the mom, but it's actually the son. Yeah. This is a, a, the a complete opposite. Um, although it's not really set up to be Jason, but we just think that it will be because he's so famous now. 
her vengeance is very misguided in the sense that these are kids that have no idea who Jason is, who weren't even alive at the time of the original drowning. Yeah. She's really just punishing the idea of a camp being reestablished at the lake where she used to work. She's punishing adolescents for their sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the couple in the beginning that gets killed, they're getting it on while all the kids are singing songs below. And in, then, the, in the building below. Yeah. You know? Like, anytime they're doing anything naughty, like, one of the guys pretends to drown. So, obviously, he's the first to die because she sees that as he's making fun of poor Jason. Well, the first to die at the camap at, first at this the, new camp in this year. Well, the cook is in in the woods has her throat slashed. The one who's picked oh, up. the girl. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's this girl that's trying to get out to the camp because she got herself a job there. And she gets picked up by, you think, it's, it's someone driving a truck, right? And then she hitchhikes again. You just kind of assume it's a man, I think, because of the violence. It's kind of interesting because the girl is having this whole conversation that you can't really get the other side of. But she keeps looking directly at the camera. And so you're seeing things through the killer's point of view. I mean, it's worth mentioning another film, Halloween. This movie just wouldn't exist without Halloween. Friday the 13th yeah. is a full-on Halloween clone, the very successful John Carpenter film that came out two years prior. And it was put into production specifically to be a Halloween knockoff. And that whole POV thing is in the first scene of Halloween. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think part of it for both movies is it's just a cheap and effective way to kind of put you in the killer's shoes. And it's not even in the killer's shoes. It's unsettling because other films, you're not, as a, as a member of the audience, you're never directly addressed. No one's looking at you. And so it felt unsettling to me. I feel like that's a little bit what they were going for too. There's a sort of reversal because a lot of the times you're in the killer's shoes. I keep wanting to say Jason's shoes because I was thinking <laughs> that the entire movie. There's a scene toward the end where one of our or kind of kind of our lead protagonist, the girl Alice, who's our ultimately the survivor, you get to even get into her point of view when she's fighting Mrs. Voorhees and Mrs. Voorhees is headbutting the camera. And I think that that even sort of resurfaces in at least the second one because Alice mm-hmm. is back for for part of the the second one and she looks straight into camera. I remember and, and it's very direct like a, like a curtain opens and she's just looking straight down the barrel of the camera. Much like Halloween, this film centers on a group of young people, in this case it's camp counselors, not babysitters, who go to Camp Crystal Lake. They this is sort of their summer job. It's a group of attractive people. There's a uh, Adrian King is Alice. She's kind of our protagonist. Uh one Kevin Bacon is Jack and then just a uh, Bunch of kind of unknowns, although they are all sort of unknowns at the time. Mm-hmm. We see them through the course of a single day, June 13th, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, sort of pranking each other, hanging out. Uh, as the sun sets, some of them do drugs and have sex. Others go off and play Strip Monopoly. Um, I forgot that it was Strip Monopoly and not Strip Poker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were working with what they had. You know, just, just some teens being teens out in the woods. But someone is out there and he's uh, he or she 
is picking them off one at a time in just the most gruesome ways imaginable. Always kind of different weaponry, using what's available at the campground. Um, Kevin Bacon famously... Kevin Bacon and his girlfriend are uh, at the bottom bunk of a bunk bed, and we discover that there's a dead, not only a dead body on the bunk above them, but the killer is below their bed, which is terrifying to me as a kid. <laughs> and once the girl leaves, he gets an arrow up through the mattress, through his yeah. throat, and it's a pretty amazing special effect. And he, no one ever... This is the thing that was weird about... Uh, weird to me. Not weird, but kind of surprising to me was that Alice was the only one to ever discover a body. Everybody else gets picked off individually. Even Kevin Bacon, there's this moment where the blood of his friend drips down on him, but then he's immediately killed. So he doesn't even have he doesn't even have the chance to realize, "Oh my god, my friend is dead above me." The only one who goes through that, I think, is Alice, right? Pretty solid horror movie tropes, I think. This the final girl you know, discovers all the bodies of her friends and runs around and knocks out the killer a couple times and walks away and the killer gets back up. It's all kind of rooted in that formula. Also, at the third time that you knock out the killer, you wouldn't just walk away. Because she's gotten back up and tried to kill you again multiple times now. She does not stay knocked out forever. Yeah, these are the these are some of the horror tropes that, of course, scream so expertly uh, dissects. And it's worth noting that in the in the I don't know if you remember this, but in the opening sequence of Scream, the trivia question that Drew Barrymore gets wrong on the phone is who is the killer in Friday the Thirteenth? Oh, really? Yeah, she says Jason, and that's what gets her boyfriend killed. Is that uh, it's actually Mrs. Voorhees? Oh man. But anyway, I always just want to talk about Scream. So I would have gotten someone killed, is what you're saying. Oh, no. no I'm, I think that most people, I mean, even if you've seen this movie and have sort of just a hazy recollection of it. My mom probably saw this in a drive-in theater when she was younger. It was a big deal when it came out. Just like Halloween, you know, it's a, it's a super low-budget movie that the people working on it thought would never really see the light of day or would play to a very small yeah. audience, but... It was a massive, massive success. I think huh. adjusted for today's dollars, it grossed $150 million, Wow. You know, on, on a pittance. So this is kind of the beginning. This and Halloween are kind of the beginning of that big slasher rotation in the 80s. Well, and supposedly they ran out of money during filming, right? Yeah. They had to try and scrape up some more cash to finish. Yeah, you know, friend of the show, Chloe Shieldhouse, uh, and her writing partner put together an amazing oral history of Friday the 13th that you can find on Uproxx. It's seriously incredible, some of the stuff that they they got people to say yeah just great interviews with kevin bacon and adrian king and one of the things that i learned from that was just the fact that all these kids that were out at the camp they were all just starving actors and you know even kevin bacon i think he'd only done animal house at the time and he was working as a waiter yeah and some of them between. were like some of the people involved with the movie were like giving blood for to like, try and survive they yeah. were trying to sell their blood although so, one of them was told they didn't have the right antibodies for some blood study the, the sense that i get from everyone who worked on this film even more established people like betsy palmer everyone would just have this desperation about them like we, i just need this job <laughs> and I, i'm willing to give it 110 percent and be out in the cold and 
do this horror movie because I, yeah. I need the money and I need the exposure and we need this. And I think that's where, like, wh- why to this day it is sort of this powerful kind of primal movie. Yeah, I like the story where Mrs. Voorhees, the woman who had played her, Betsy Palmer, talked about how she didn't really want to do it, but she had gotten in a car wreck and was told that she needed $10,000 to fix her car, and her agent called her up and said, hey, how about this little horror film? And she said, well, how much does it pay? And the agent said $10,000, and she said, sign me up. No one's going to see this shit anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to today. It's what she's best known for. It's funny because uh, Betsy Palmer was always known as this kind of sweet woman. She had a game show called I've Got a Secret that she was on quite a bit. And they they cast her specifically because she was this kind of sweet, unassuming little old lady. Um, well, not little old lady. Well, she wasn't very old in this. She was maybe in her 50s. Well, yeah, I think so. Do you think that uh, that she makes a believable killer? Betsy Palmer? Because I go back and forth, personally. I think she does. The funniest thing was when she came on screen, I was still convinced that Jason was going to show up. I didn't know that she would be the killer, and I was thinking, man, she is the worst actress. Where did they get this woman? Because <laughs> she was really stilted, and she was acting really strange, and then she started ranting and raving about camp counselors not protecting children i thought there's something wrong here and then she tried to murder alice and then i realized oh god she's the killer i think she gets the psychological part down yeah i think that when she's talking she does like jason's voice when she goes killer mommy killer and we and earlier in the movie one of the creepiest things um and we talked a little bit about this and with the blair witch but one of the creepiest things you can hear is just like a child crying out at night. There's something yeah, about that that really her, sets you on edge. And you realize later it's her doing it. One of the uh, victims is lured out of her cabin because she hears what sounds like a boy through this rainstorm calling out, Help me! And it's really it really makes your hair stand yeah. on end. And it's funny because in hindsight, I think she did a great job. Not having known initially that she was the murderer, I thought she was terrible. I I think that physically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, she's throwing grown men through windows and... Well, she didn't throw a grown man through a window. She threw a woman through a window. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So I guess it's it's possible. It's um, possible. She's nuts. She, you know, yeah. I could. She's so crazy. You could imagine her just like lifting weights and doing push-ups, getting ready for the next summer where she needs to kill everybody again. I think there is a drop-off in tension once it's revealed that it is her, and it's just this woman in a sweater chasing around Alice yeah. rather than this unseen force. Except except for when she's outside and she's talking to her son through her own self, you know? That's true, like, but that's I just... that's really unsettling. I think of these moments where she finally catches up to Alice and instead of, like, really trying to kill her, she's just kind of slapping her around. And yeah. to me that seems like a... Just, it's a little, like, I don't want to say comical because I don't want to snark snark at it, but... But I also wonder, too, like, she probably didn't have fighting experience because what other role did she do that had that? And how much, like, what kind of fight choreographer did they really have on set? They probably didn't have one. I don't know how believable she is. And I think that they gave her a bunch of bulky sweaters to kind of make her look more formidable. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But it seems like even Alice towers over her. I don't know. And then I just got so annoyed with Alice that by the fourth time that they were fighting out by the boat, by the lake, I, I was just kind of like, you know, Alice, you deserve to be slapped up. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and I, I think that Betsy Palmer is also kind of filling the role of, in Halloween, they had Donald Pleasance. They brought in sort of this established actor to play the doctor. Mm-hmm. And so by bringing in this kind of well-respected older actor amongst all these kind of unknown teens, that gives you a little more legitimacy. Yeah. The um, scriptwriter had said that, in Chloe's article, had said that he wanted to make the murderer a woman so it wasn't that obvious that he was ripping off Halloween. <laughs> And seen through those, the the lens of, like, the writer literally just went to the theater and watched Halloween a bunch of times and took notes and said it in a just summer camp. figured out the formula. I mean, seen it through that the, uh, those eyes, this does seem like kind of a cynical cash grab, but even so, I think it is still really effective. Yeah. I mean... I like how simple it is. And I feel like you couldn't get away with yeah. something so simple now. I mean, it's... It really is just a bunch of kids at a summer camp getting picked off one by one. And it's a little bit of a whodunit. You're kind of led to believe that Christy, the guy who owns the camp and has reopened mm-hmm. it as the killer because that they guy, drive the same car. That guy was walking around with a bandana around his neck and <laughs> cut off denim shorts, nothing else. Oh, yes. The fashion in this is... Uh, Almost feels more like late 70s. I than, mean, it, it kind of was. Well, yeah, I guess it was shot in yeah. the late 70s. I feel like the the sequels, I mean, the sequels were more or less a a repeat of this under different, slightly different circumstances, but some of them got so crazy trying to just complicate it, and I think to this day, like, uh, a lot of these slasher movies, they just sort of overthink them and try to make them, you know, just focus too much on crazy plot contrivances and things like this, but there's something to be said for just a simple... You know, slash him up in the woods. Mm-hmm. We did get to see some. Somehow, I started thinking about nudity. We did. Did we see Kevin Bacon butt? I think we did. Yeah, we did. Right. Okay. Yeah. Then it has some balance. It has a little bit of body balance. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's another. Unlike the stepfather. Well, you see some Terry O'Quinn butt at the beginning of the stepfather. When he gets, when he himself has a shower scene. Oh, I That's forgot about that. A little Terry O'Quinn for the ladies. I totally forgot about that. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, it's funny you bring up the stepfather because I think that that is a better film. I think that that's just, the characters are well-developed. But I think that because it came a little bit later, this just is held up as sort of a classic and, you know, one of those first major slashers of this mm-hmm. cycle. Whereas I feel like, unfortunately, not a lot of people know about The Stepfather. I think the other thing is that this has a major twist, whereas The Stepfather, you know he's bad. They yeah. tell you right up front that he murdered little children. I think that there's a lot of examples like this, just films that have sort of gone into similar territory much better than this, and yet mm-hmm. Friday the 13th is sort of put on this pedestal. And I think of a movie like The Stepfather where Terry O'Quinn gives an incredible performance, and all the performances in that are pretty solid. And all of the acting in Friday the 13th is pretty poor, to be honest. It's kind of okay, yeah. Even, even young old Kevin Bacon was a little stiff. 
it's funny because each time I watch Friday the 13th, in a way, it's kind of like watching it for the first time again because I forget all of the dialogue that these counselors have. I forget their names. Yeah, it doesn't really do anything. That's the thing. There's something a little odd in the sense that the counselors are really just there to get killed off. Like, you don't really... I feel like there's much better slasher movies out there that sort of take the time to show you who these people are and get you to care about them. I mean, I think that Scream is a major example of this. Yeah. I do kind of, again, I said this again, I, I, it's a simple film and I kind of respect the simplicity of it, though, because I think sometimes it gets overcomplicated with some, yeah. of these, some of these horror movies. And I think that much like a campfire tale... It is sort of told in these broad strokes. Like, you can almost see... And I think even in the sequels, they sort of do a recap of the other movies in the form of a campfire tale. It's like, these kids were out in the woods, and then Mrs. Voorhees came to get them, you know? Yeah. Well, it's it's like that story that you would you would tell someone there once was a camp and a little boy died because his camp counselors were paying attention to each other instead of him, and then they all died. You know, like yeah. it's that punishment tale that you're always told, and each each of these characters kind of does something to be for which they need to be punished. You know, except for the girl. I was trying to figure out the girl that was hitchhiking. What she did wrong. She but for was the other, perfectly sweet. Yeah, I for think... the other ones, there was kind of a reason. Like, they were doing something illicit. There were the two that had sex. There was the guy that pretended to be drowning. One of the uh, the two, the three that played Strip Monopoly, two of them actually stripped. And Alice was the only one that didn't strip. She was kind of the most chaste of the crowd. Yeah, I think trying to look for motivations in this series only gets more complicated from here. Because once it's Jason doing the killings, is he avenging his own almost drowning against people that... Or is he avenging his mother's death? I just don't understand how the sequels work. I mean, I think of Jason as more of a territorial figure. He's this guy who lives out in the woods, and if you go sort of in his area, then he's going to defend it. But he is supposed to be that child that died, right? Well, I mean, it's never fully explained. I think that we're to assume that he lived. They say that Jason still lives out in the woods, and he's been living off the land, and somehow never reunited with his mother in all that time. Because I was kind of... I could believe it somehow if they had said that they had uh, proposed this kind of like mystical reasoning for him being alive so it's not really him as a person it's some kind of weird alternate version of himself created by evil spirits because of his horrible death i mean they get a lot of like complicated mythology in in the later later sequels but i think that what it is is he didn't actually drown He's been living in the woods. Uh, It's later sort of retconned that he saw his mom being beheaded. He was spying (laughs) in the woods and saw that happen. But yeah, he's he's a very confusing character. The question I have now, though, is when does the hockey mask come into play? So that's actually part three. That's not until the third film? If you want to see Jason killing kids in a hockey mask, and it's only the second half of part three... Because that's the iconic thing, right? Yeah. 
And it's funny because I think that the movie that I point uh, people towards for just a great Friday the 13th movie is actually part six, Jason what? Lives. Okay. Because I feel like that at that point in the series, they were like, okay, this is ridiculous. We've got a killer in a hockey mask. Like, let's make this fun and kind of self-knowing. And, like, there's an awesome soundtrack with, like, an Alice Cooper song. <laughs> and it's just, like, a lot of fun. I mean, it's not scary in the yeah. least. I think that if you want a scary Friday the 13th movie, you're best served by these kind of earlier ones before it sort of became a big joke. But part three, part four, that's a lot of, you know, Jason in a hockey mask still taking himself seriously, you know, hacking up kids. But later you get movies like uh, part seven, The New Blood, where he's fighting a girl with telekinesis. It's sort of like Jason versus Carrie. How many movies are there? Uh, you get part eight, which is Jason Takes Manhattan, where they're on a cruise it ship. Like a rom-com. <laughs> they're on a cruise ship for most of the movie, and they end up in Manhattan, supposedly, but it's actually Canada. Okay. Uh, there's Jason Goes to Hell, which introduces a lot of uh, very strange mythology, like body swapping and that sort of thing. And then there's Jason X, which is in outer space. You got Freddy vs. Jason, where he fights Freddy Krueger. And most recently, you've had the Michael Bay produced remake. There was a Michael Bay one? Yeah. Well, he's he's done, he's done a lot of those horror remakes that have not been particularly good. Like, he did a Texas Chainsaw remake. He did a Nightmare on Elm Street remake. He didn't do the Matthew McConaughey remake of Texas Chainsaw, oh, no, did he? Oh, okay. no. He did not do that one. The Next Generation. Okay, so you listed a lot of Friday the 13th movies, but I didn't get a count. How many are there? As of now, as of 2016, there are 12 of them. But I have a feeling that they won't miss the opportunity to have a 13th Friday the 13th movie. And of those, I would say this original is good. Four is pretty strong. I'd say six is good. And I've got a soft spot for Freddy vs. Jason, just because it's bringing together two (laughs) titans of horror. That's one of the funny things about this series is that a lot of... When you talk to someone about the series it's very rare that they like the first movie the best and i think that's the only series where people mostly just debate over which sequel is their favorite because everyone likes jason which never happens yeah i feel like the consensus is kind of like well actually there isn't really a consensus but four and six are very popular ones okay us Jason heads. We didn't establish the setting. We, we're recording in the dark with candles lit, so we have a spookier atmosphere. You know, for summer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the campfire that we're telling this campfire story around. Campfire using the orange Halloween candles that we bought the other day in preparation <laughs> for Halloween. <laughs> Look, we're not putting up Halloween decorations until October 1st, but once we do, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of horror movies going on in this, in this house. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, this studio, this podcasting studio. Going forward, are you interested in seeing another Friday the 13th movie, or do you feel like you sort of got the idea? I kind of have to see another one, because I've never seen one with Jason in it. Like, I I mean, I guess this one technically had him in there in spirit through his mama, but and also in the lake with the corpse diving out of the lake. 
I think th I'm thinking about just jumping straight ahead to four because these movies are very much like previously on Friday the Thirteenth and just give you a <laughs> montage of all the kills you missed. Wait, really? Uh, pretty much, especially in some of those later ones. Uh, it's just filler, so their budget isn't insane. Yeah, you know, get it up to 87 minutes so oh, it can God. be called a movie. But yeah, I, I would say that, that Part 6 is a legitimately fun, great horror movie. But yeah, I would probably skip around if I was you. Because there's, okay. there's a lot of... There, there are some duds in this series, for sure. I'm so surprised. <laughs> but part two is interesting because before he got a hockey mask, Jason wore a potato sack with one eye hole. <laughs> and that was his scary killer <laughs> mask. Scarecrow Cyclops? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It is actually kind of unnerving. Well, Sean, it's about that time again. Buy it, rent it, or tape over it. <sighs> This is tough because I feel like uh, if I say anything but buy it, I'm kind of endangering my horror buff credentials. But uh, I have to be honest, this is a rent it. On this, wow. on this watch, the original Friday the 13th does not hold up super well for me. I think that it's kind of rough around the edges. It's kind of distracting just how much of a Halloween clone it is. It's uh, definitely one that I like to revisit, but... Um, I think if I was going to throw on a movie from this series, I would do one of the Jason installments. So if you're thinking about watching like foundational slasher films, then you would move more for Psycho or Halloween? I would the say... The ones that most informed this one? Well, here's the thing. I, I think that you absolutely should see Psycho, Texas Chainsaw, Halloween... But I f actually feel like Friday the 13th is sort of a must-see, a must-rent, perhaps, because I feel like it sort of kicked off this craze of, like, wait, okay. we can... I feel like it was the first imitator that was very successful and sort of kicked off this craze of, like, wait, Halloween wasn't a one-off. We can all make movies with guys wearing masks killing teenagers. Yeah. And I so I think it is very important for horror history. Yeah. But just like a lot of historically important movies of any genre, I don't think it's an outstanding example of the genre. I don't think it's okay. I think that its legacy is more important than the movie itself. I think that there's definitely movies in this series that I would say buy it too. I mentioned part six. I actually think that's one of the great part sixes. Not many series get to part six. There's uh, Star Wars. <laughs> Alright, well, that's true. James Bond is far past six. There's something interesting that you had mentioned about how Halloween wasn't actually that gory. It was the films that imitated it that were super gory, like this one. Like There, there was a lot of blood in this movie. They full-on axe-murdered someone. Yeah, you know, both Halloween and the original Texas Chainsaw are movies that people look back on as being super violent, and certainly their sequels and imitators were, but they're both pretty tame, and I think that the reason they struck such a chord with people is that it kind of leaves a lot to your imagination, and it mm -hmm. really unnerves you. They're more suspenseful films than than movies like Friday the 13th, which are more about like the body count and like the on-screen gore. Mm-hmm. Which I think audiences were kind of demanding at this time. What about you, Lindsay? What do you think of this film? 
I'm gonna say actually rent it. It was pretty fun to watch. I like that it was again simple. It was just kind of like fun and easy. And it, for me, there was a twist, which made it kind of exciting. I got really <laughs> into it. Oh, and we haven't talked about one of the most famous shots of this movie, which is the big jump scare at the end. Oh, which when, uh, Sean gave away. I tried not to give it away. It's just like, <laughs> so basically after Alice has beheaded Mrs. Voorhees with a machete... She goes out to the middle of the lake in a canoe, and the cops show up, and the music is starting to swell. I sort of sense that you thought the movie is over, and that it was okay to kind of, you know, like, start asking questions about the movie and stuff. And all I said was, oh, keep keep watching, there's more There's more to the movie. Which totally gave away that something freaky was going to happen. And it's funny, because I jump when we watch movies. I... I jumped when I, I jumped when we were watching the green room. I jumped in in Psycho. I always jump, but not this time. John I was worried you wouldn't be looking at the screen <laughs> for one of the famous jump scares in horror history, but I ended up ruining it for you. So Aww. I've always mm-hmm. interpreted it as a dream. Yeah. Um, but even that is a ripoff of a shot in Carrie, which oh, ends really? with a big jump scare that I won't give away here. But I think that that's one of the reasons I can't quite go buy it with Friday the 13th. There's this kind of cynicism about it. And even John Carpenter, who of course directed Halloween and many other great films, uh, he was quoted recently as saying that he doesn't like Friday the 13th very much either. because he And it's sort, I sort of agree with the sentiment and the fact that it's just this very hollow kind of cash grab, and it yeah. doesn't quite... Like, it's it's kind of just proof that you can't take all the parts from Halloween and instantly make something equivalent. Like, Halloween and Friday the 13th are both about teenagers being picked off one at a time by a crazy killer, and yet Halloween is a masterpiece, and Friday the 13th feels kind of clunky and cynical. So I think it's just yeah. kind of proof that you can't just take an idea and redo it and expect it to have the same quality yeah but again i feel like the enjoyment is there and if you're wanting to watch like a spooky summer movie yeah it works that's why i said rent it like it's not terrible it's not great it's just kind of what it needs to be i like it i just wish that i liked it more all right Lindsay. well next episode we're switching back over to your video cassette collection what Mm -hmm. have you picked out for us we are going to watch Willow. Yes, Sean, oh. Val Kilmer is coming back to the show. Friend of the show, Val Kilmer. Yeah, we wish. <laughs> I do still have his uh, phone number after uh, being a production assistant on Twix. He's probably changed that number by now. I, I like to think that he hasn't. <laughs> I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can find more information about our podcast at our website, tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time.